The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Rappers, Angela Luzio, is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Rappers, Angela Luzio, is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer of the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premier. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corliss, and you are listening to Pa the Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 16 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Happy humid Friday. <laughs> if you've been in New York this past week, the weather has just been disgustingly soupy. So that's why you get that little welcoming for this episode of Pot of Chat. Um, it's been a, a fun week for me. I, I spent on Monday, I spent an, a little over an hour at Broadway Dance Center's teacher training workshop running my first workshop for teachers, <laughs> uh, which was very fun. Um, there were dozens of teachers that came to New York City from around the world. Uh, we had some locals in my class. There was a woman from the Philippines and uh, everywhere in between. Um, and I, I got to choose what I wanted to, to teach because uh, this workshop, the way it works is that uh, there are four workshops going at the same time. And there are three days worth of workshops and maybe like three to four different classes or class times that are offered. So um, we got to choose what we wanted to teach. And I taught how to use patterns and imagery to enhance your ballet classes. Uh, my group was great. It was fun to to meet them and to share information with them and to just uh, pass on the craft in a, in a different, unique way. So that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Other than that, I've begun working on Youth America Grand Prix solos. I'm finishing my last week teaching at the Greenwich Ballet Academy's summer workshop. Um, and also, I think, is it tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow I'm actually going to start to choreograph on a friend of mine, Ursula Verduzko, a lovely choreographer and dancer here in the New York dance scene. Um, and we're going to be developing... 
piece to maybe put into some festivals and whatnot. So stay tuned for that. Lots going on. Um, speaking of lots going on, uh, let's talk about my teaching schedule. So my schedule is actually clearing up a bit after this week. So I have a bit more availability. So if anybody needs a workshop or anything, uh, check in with me. I, I may be able to come out or if you're looking for choreography or anything like that. Um, but aside from my regular ballet classes that I have on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, which you can see on my bio at Broadway Dance Center, uh, the cl- additional classes I'll be teaching um, over the next week or two are just a reminder, my Saturday classes from 10.30 to 12, Intermediate Advanced Ballet, and then 12 to 1.30, uh, Intermediate Contemporary at Broadway Dance Center. And those classes currently are only through September 8th. I, uh, I'm hoping that my intermediate contemporary will move to a different slot because we've had a lot of dancers and it's been really well received. Um, but I'll keep you updated on that. Other than that, um, I will be teaching a few additional classes in the city. Um, on Friday the 10th, I will be teaching an intermediate contemporary class at Steps on Broadway, heading back to Steps on Broadway. Always love going back to teach there. Um, and then at 3 p.m. at Broadway Dance Center, I'll be uh, subbing for uh, Salim. Uh, he goes by Slam. Um, but he was one of Madonna's uh, dancers in the Vogue video, which I just think is so cool. But so I'll be subbing for his class, uh, 3 p.m. advanced beginner contemporary. Um, and then let's see, I'm looking at my calendar as I talk to you. Um, I feel like I have another one that I can't find, but it's, it's somewhere. Anyway, I'll let you know when I find it. All right. So those are my additional classes that I have going on. Uh, and as always, if I get anything thrown my way, I, uh, I will update that on either my Instagram or my Facebook. Alrighty, cool. Now, so I was trying to consider what I would do this week for a podcast, and I was thinking it's been a while since I have rehashed one of my old blogs, and uh, I do that every once in a while because a lot of people that listen to this podcast don't realize that I had a blog for five years. Uh, called Life of Freelance Dancer, where I wrote about living the freelance life while I toured the country. Um, and I started that because I didn't know what I was doing and I wanted to create a tool for people to, to use and also to document what I was doing. Um, and then I also, that, that's now archived. It's, it's, I did it for five years. It became quite popular. Um, and then I, I wasn't really freelancing, so I wanted to start talking about what I was actually doing. Um, and now I, I'm writing on Dancing Off Stage, uh, which is about, it's an informational blog about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. Um, so yeah, I have these two platforms that I've been sharing on for years. And as time passes, it's funny because uh, it's not like a, a book with chapters. So it's kind of hard to pull, like ha- have an archive that people can just click on. I- I've created a sort of archive that you can find if you visit one of the sites. Um, actually, I think it's only in the Life of Freelance Dancer site. You can see it um, in my last final post. Um, but I like to pull them out every once in a while so you can hear different things that I've experienced throughout my career. Um, and also, uh, just to remind you that I have them so that if you are looking for information as a freelancer um, or as any type of artist after their professional dance career, um, I do have these uh, these sites for you. So uh, if you want to check out the Life of a Freelance Dancer 
blog. It can be found at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com. You can find that there. And like I said, that's archived now. There, there are no new posts. There will be no new posts. Uh, and I'm currently posting on Dancing Off Stage, which you can find uh, at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. I felt like switching sites. So one is Blogspot, and then the the newer one is WordPress. All right, so I'm going to read this blog to you uh, from, it was 10-15-2015. It was a day after I turned, how old would that make me? 32. So October 15, 2015. Um, And when I wrote this post, it's called Giving Everything for Your Art or Not. Um, When I wrote this post, I actually wanted to write this post like way beforehand, Um, but I needed to get a little bit of distance from a gig that I did that kind of inspired this conversation. Um, And this was definitely one of the most, what I talk about here is one of the most wild experiences of my career. Um, I still tell people about today and it makes people like open their mouths in wonderment or because they're baffled. It's, it's really quite a crazy, crazy situation that I found myself in on one of my, uh, very first, uh, jobs as a freelancer. I was dancing with a dance fusion, a modern dance company based in Philadelphia, um, which was definitely pushing me outside of my comfort zone. Cause I am not a modern dancer. I've taken modern classes, um, and studied modern dance, um, but I would not consider myself a modern dancer. I consider myself a ballet uh, and contemporary dancer. All right, so I, this, as, as I've done this before, my rehashes are, I'm going to share this uh, with you, kind of like Audible. I think it's uh, Audible is at the website or the app where you can have books uh, read to you. So this is my Audible dance. Please don't contact me audible and ask me for copyright information. Okay, here we go. Giving everything for your art or not. When I was a young, freshly professional 19-year-old near child moving thousands of miles away from home to join Houston Ballet, I was a bit of a bunhead. Actually, let's be honest here. I'm still a complete and total bunhead, and that's still true today. (laughs) During my short year with the company, I became great friends with my fellow apprentice and now Houston Ballet faculty member Alex Pandicio. We in our bunheaded glory would sit at his apartment sipping beer, watching ballet DVDs, or even VHS at the time, let's age ourselves a little bit, (laughs) and debate about everything from technique to artistry to production quality. When I left to join Pacific Northwest Ballet, I really missed having a friend that was equally, if not more, passionate about our art form. Once I got into the swing of things at P&B, more often than not, I found dancers trying to fill the gap between living your life as a dancer and living your life and dancing for a living. If I suggested a ballet viewing night, people would tease me. If I wanted to sit down for drinks after work and talk about technique, people would would quickly ask to change the subject. Here I was in one of the most inspiring companies in the country seeking greater inspiration than an eight-hour workday. I found that many of my colleagues didn't want to make dance their lifestyle, which is perfectly fine. But I preferred the opposite. So when I finally took the plunge and left PNB, it was easy for me to use this as one of the excuses for me to leave. I told myself that I needed to be surrounded by people who would give anything and everything for their art. After making my way to Philadelphia, my 22-week seasonal contract meant that I would need to seek gigs in between work periods with the contemporary company I was dancing for. 
My first and only foray into the Philadelphia freelance scene was performing for a small modern company that is based on the technique of niche choreographer Mary Anthony. Okay, so I'm stepping away from the blog for a second. Uh, Mary Anthony was uh, a pioneer uh, in, in the time where Martha Graham was coming of age. Also, you had Merce Cunningham and a lot of other renowned, famous modern choreographers. And she was a lesser known choreographer, but she was also, she had a, a cult following, if you want to say. Okay, stepping back into this blog. Okay, so talking about the technique of niche choreographer Mary Anthony. To be completely honest, it wasn't really my thing. But I went into life after PNB with an open mind as to where things would lead me. And for the first time in a long time, I felt like I was surrounded by people who would do anything for our art. Anything. At PNB, I was used to rehearsing for productions anywhere from a few weeks to a few days before getting on stage to perform. Preparing for this Philly Fringe Festival show, we spent nearly eight weeks rehearsing. Granted, it was only six to eight hours per week. But we spent eight weeks rehearsing mostly after the sun had gone down. Dancers came into rehearsal late, and it was acceptable because they had regular day jobs. It wasn't uncommon for heated discussions to happen as the work was restaged. Some dancers were much more vocal than any dancer would be in a ballet studio, while others were so happy to be dancing that they would do anything and everything necessary just to be a part of the company. The contrast between strength and submission was great and utterly shocking to my ballet world expectations. Beyond all this, pay was only guaranteed to most dancers after tickets were sold or grants came through. This meant that some dancers didn't see any compensation for months after the work had been performed. Some weeks before we performed, our group took a trip to New York City to work with Mary Anthony herself. She was still kicking. <laughs> Am I still kicking? I mean, she was barely still kicking, but she was still alive uh, at the ripe old age of 94 years old. We were to have rehearsal with this woman who cultivated an intensely respectful cult following at her studios. This rehearsal would be followed by us sharing the work in a fundraising open rehearsal in her studio as well. While a few dancers had dropped hints, nobody prepared me for what I was about to see or experience. And whew, I was about to experience something. After taking an elevator to the eighth floor of a building between St. Mark's and NYU, I think that was the Astor Place uh, exit that we took on the, the NW train. But yeah, after uh, taking that elevator up her her building that housed the Mary Anthony Dance Studios, uh, where at 94 she was still teaching class twice a week, which I heard that she uh, she wasn't really teaching at that point. It was some of her, her protégés that really wanted to keep her in the studio, so they would kind of teach while she oversaw the classes. But yeah, so uh, we went up to the Mary Anthony Dance Studios. We were dropped off on her floor and immediately turned right into the dressing room. Like, turn right. Like, you walking forward and then to the right. We had been sitting on a Balt bus for a few hours, so I had been holding my bladder for a long time. Sorry if that's too much information. <laughs> I turned to one of my fellow modern dancers and asked where the bathroom was located. He simply responded, walk through the lobby, past Mary's bedroom, and it will be on the left. The comment didn't really add up to me. Uh, my first thought, oh, Mary lives here? I guess the studio is bigger than I expected. I, I now thought that I was in a mansion, but it couldn't. I couldn't tell from my initial walking through. 
Nope. I walked out of the dressing room and laying right behind the front desk was Mary Anthony resting on her bed. Yes, right behind a desk in the lobby. (laughs) Mary Anthony lived in her studio. The lobby consisted of a front desk, a bed, a dining room table, and a door to the bathroom. The dressing rooms tripled as a place to put your clothes on, the food pantry, and a litter box area for her cat that roamed the entire eighth floor. Yes, including the dance studio. Between the lobby and studio was a small cove for a kitchen. But the sacred dance studio was just a dance studio. (laughs) Do not mess with the sacred dance studio. But yeah, so the place wasn't in disarray, but it wasn't very clean. Uh, There were also nails sticking out of the plywood floor. It was, I don't know if it was plywood, but it was practically plywood. Um, And there were cans of roach spray in every single room. Um, Stepping aside from the the blog again, I remember we had, I, I was used to working in union conditions at that point. Like I had only worked in union conditions, American Guild of Musical Artists, uh, they made sure that all the conditions were safe for dancers. And here I am. I'm not used to dancing barefoot. <laughs> First off, I barely danced barefoot during my, my professional career. Um, and we start doing our warm-up. And I am, like, moving my feet around in one of the first or second combinations. And I felt, like, a little scrape under my foot. And I looked down, and there was, like, the head of an – I don't know if it's the head – the end of a nail sticking out of the floor and i remember like looking at another dancer and i think that they recognized how out of my comfort zone that i was um but beyond that they realized that i was going to flip out because i was afraid that i was going to get hurt um so they very quickly were like there are no nails over here and they like moved me they actually grabbed me by my shoulders and moved me over to where they were standing and they, they actually gave up their safety and they stood there um i was i mean how impressive how kind and sweet and generous um but yeah it was it was a a world that i hadn't seen having danced for uh houston ballet and pacific northwest ballet where our budgets were uh i mean between i don't know where we were by the end but 18 and 26 million dollars all right so let's get back on track with this blog so in my culture shock i walked through the bathroom or not the bathroom i walked through the bedroom past the kitchen and into the dance studio for (laughs) warm-up As I felt, oh, there we're talking about it. As I felt a nail poke my foot through the foot blackening wooden floor, my chest tightened and another dancer must have seen the panic in my heart. She looked at me and said, no nail here, I'll switch spots. (laughs) After getting our sweat on while Mary Anthony was awakened and prepped for rehearsal, a quietly stoic figure walked with assistance into her proud home one inch at a time, like truly one inch at a time. She sat in rehearsal without changing expressions. When a correction needed to be made, she whispered into her adoring former dancer's ear, the now the director of Dance Fusion. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, this woman who had been whispering in our director's ear, she raised her voice into a boom. My heart started pounding. She stared at me with eyes dilating. You're a sailor. You've had a hard life. You're too pretty. <laughs> That was the most that she said that entire day. Not just to me. That was all she said the entire day. I think other than that, at the open rehearsal, she said, thank you for coming. That was it. But it was said that she was most her former self in that one moment that she spoke to me. (laughs) 
Our open rehearsal had a minimal showing of support, which means that I think there were like six people that were not related to a, uh, our director. Um, we enjoyed wine and hors d'oeuvres in the lobby immediately after performing Miss Anthony's work. Living to the frail age of 94 must be exhausting, so Mary's assistant put her to sleep. <laughs> to paint the clearest picture possible, Miss Anthony lay on her back asleep in her bed, eyes covered with a floral sleep mask as dancers uh, multiple generations past Mary's prime sipped wine and chatted around her frail sleeping form. <laughs> as I stood over Mary sipping my dry wine and appearing to listen to another dancer talk about their next gig, <laughs> and I said appearing because I was just, my mind had glazed from the experience I had. Uh, but during this, I had an utterly deep realization. Maybe there is such a thing as giving too much to your art. On the bus ride back to Philly over a smuggled bottle of Sauvignon Blanc, <laughs> the dancers who had shared this experience previously told me about their first venture to the Mary Anthony Dance Studios. I think the thing about most shock is that you can only be shocked by the same thing once. These dancers now saw this experience as commonplace to learning a Mary Anthony work. As stories continued to flow, I learned that many in the dance community considered her a legend in the same realm as Graham and Lamont. Mary started her own company, and since many of the dancers whom she hired had difficulty finding work in the prime time of the classical modern dance era, her dancers not only adored the woman, but saw her as a motherly idol. Mary was not so nice in her less frail days, but she was a passionate, a passionate woman and had a very clear vision. She also performed well into her 70s. Uh, actually, the, the piece that we were performing, Threnody, um, I was the son uh, in this piece and the mother in this piece was performed by the director of the company, who was in her 60s at the time. Um, and she was re reprising the role. She had done it before, but previous to that, Mary Anthony had performed it when she was in her 70s. So this is like 20, 20 something years from that day. Uh, but yeah, so at one point as her studio was struggling to survive, Mary was offered a tenured position to teach at New York University. Uh, but Mary felt that she would have sold out by taking that position. So she chose to continue living the life she did, one that where the line blurred between studio and home, work and life. Near the end, which Mary had impressively lived over two years after this, this experience I had, it became clear that Mary had completely and utterly devoted her life to her art form. And I have such an incredible respect that she was able to remain so honest to her values as an artist. But meeting and working directly with somebody who had such great dedication and longevity that her life and art fused into one entity without care for quality of life taught me a very valuable lesson. We all devote ourselves to this beautifully painful art form to one degree or another. Some people leave dance at work, others bring it home with them. And for others, dance is literally their home. I used to be more judgmental about how people that call dance a career chose to make it a part of their lives. But after this experience, I view things quite differently. I'd give most everything in my life to be a part of this art form. And while I don't look down on people who do give absolutely everything to this art form, regardless of their well-being, I find that it is best to find a middle ground that makes one feel fulfilled and equal alive as a human being. 
as we are not dancers living as people, we are people living as dancers. Yay. So there it is. There we have it. Uh, that is my, my blog post on life of a freelance dancer about <laughs> living for your art or not. Um, yeah, just to chat about it for a second, I, I've had so many crazy experiences in my dance career and my freelance career was definitely one of the most eye-opening experiences. Um, I, it was challenging as you can hear. Um, but I'm so glad that I, I had, I had it. Um, because coming from the big company life, dancing with prestigious companies with huge budgets, we were really spoiled and we had, we had things great. And it was interesting because we had a very set schedule and we could afford to pay our bills based off of our work. Um, sometimes it appears to me, uh, that some dancers in, in those types of companies, uh, they don't make dance as much a part of, uh, their personal lives as they end up doing after they leave those companies. Um, it, like if you look at dancers that like in, in dance fusion, some of these dancers, they worked full-time jobs and then they would dance in the evenings every single day of the week. And they didn't care whether they were getting paid or not. I mean, yeah, they did. They hoped they got paid, but it, they were used to the challenges of getting paid. They didn't care what the conditions were. Like they would do whatever it took so that they could dance. Um, and that bled even further uh, into what I the story that I told you. Um, so it was really fascinating and, and eye opening for me to see that because um, when I was dancing Pacific Northwest Ballet, like I really yearned to be surrounded by people that wanted art to be a part of every hour of their day. Um, but then when I experienced this, I, I actually started to question maybe I wasn't passionate about passionate enough about what I was doing. Um, obviously in, in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter, but, um, you, you want to feel like you are, uh, giving to the things that are important to you and that you are invested in those things. And this was really one of those experiences that helped me evaluate that. And I do feel that I live for my art. I, I am, I work hard. I am constantly talking about dance. I'm constantly writing about dance, I'm constantly teaching dance. I'm constantly choreographing dance. Um, but at the same time, like I like to have some nights where, you know, like after I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to go sip a couple glasses of rosé with my husband, maybe watch a TV show or play a video game. Like I also like to feel human because it balances me out and I don't have enough balance in that regard, but uh, I'm okay with that because I, I love what I do. So yeah, I'm curious as usual, what you guys think about this. Have you ever felt like you wish that there were more people around you that were invested in their, their art, uh, beyond just going to work? Um, do you feel that you're constantly surrounded by people that are too intense and passionate about their art? Have you ever been in a situation like I was with Mary Anthony where, you walk into a dance school and you realize that the owner of the school lives in their studio. Um, and do you think that that's too blurry of a lion or do you think that, that that's the most amazing thing you've ever heard? Uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'll give you all the information in a second if you want to. Um, and again, I, I'm going to urge you, if you really enjoyed this, please go ahead and check out my, my blogging now at dancingoffstage.com wordpress.com. I'm posting every two weeks opposite of my uh, podcast episodes. So I actually put out content 
every week, even though I only podcast every other week. So I, I, I blog, podcast, blog, podcast every week. Um, and then if you're curious to, to look at the, the archived uh, blog that I did for five years, Life of a Freelance Dancer, again, that's Life of a Freelance Dancer, and it's uh, .blogspot.com. And that was really popular. I had, at this point, probably over about 400,000 views. Uh, it was viewed in well over 100 countries. I was featured in Dance Magazine for that. So there's some good quality content for you if you have a need for more. All right, guys. So I guess that's that's time for our outro. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerolis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, if you're interested in seeing some of my choreography, you can go on YouTube and you can search for B. Carolis, B-K-E-R-O-L-L-I-S. And if you find that channel, you will see some of my choreography there. Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chats. I hope you return in two weeks from today on Friday to talk dance with me and remember to go out and support your local dance scene. Thank you.